Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Um, hi, everybody. I'm so glad you all are here. I see some familiar faces I haven't seen in a while. and really glad, I'm really glad you guys found your way here. And, you know, I think this is one of my favorite nights. I love hearing um, stories and I, um, I have witnessed such a transformation in this woman. Um, when Elizabeth first started coming into meetings, um, she was very, very quiet. And um, this is not a criticism, just an observation, but almost like, you know, I think she almost sat like this, you know, she crocheted a lot when she did needlework, when she was in meetings. And now it's like, there's just a complete different, the shoulders are up and back, the heart is open. Uh, She has a strength in her voice. Um, I've seen her go through a couple of dating situations and come to on the other side, that was not what I want. And um, it's just, it's powerful. And I'm really, really excited to sit here tonight and hear Elizabeth G's story. Oh, thank you so much. I want to say thank you to Elizabeth B. and MG and to Sober Sisters Podcast and all of you here for the opportunity to share my story and the fellowship of SLAA. My name is Elizabeth. I'm a sex and love addict, anorectic, avoidant, fantasy addict, intrigue seeker, codependent, and ACOA member. Um, how can I tell you what my life has been like over the last Uh, five and a half years. There have been so many wonderful moments um, and spiritual experiences. My sobriety date, the day I came into SLA would have been, uh, is June 20th, 2016. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. So telling my story, I realize is the greatest asset to help another sex and love addict. And I want to say off the cusp, I'm nervous. So this is the first time I've really gone from point A from birth to my current age. Okay, so I was born in Chicago, Illinois, in the Lincoln Park area. It's a very nice area in Chicago. My father was highly educated and considered a genius. He's Jewish, and my mother was of Scottish descent. She was a stewardess for North Central Airlines. I believe my mom suffered from the disease of alcoholism and anorexia, and she also was an adult child of an alcoholic. And that goes galloping back in my family's lines. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My great-grandmother from Ireland was alcoholic as well. So what I remember are secrets that were told to me, especially in my teenage years. Um, Number one, the first secret is that I had a half-brother and a half-sister that I didn't know about. My dad was married before my mom. Um, My half-sister is blind and deaf. Um, I have not met her. 
They were born, they were raised in California. My parents went through many hardships with being pulled back into court um, for, for um, his ex-wife. Anyways, and I didn't know any of this until I was a teenager. The second one is I found out that I was Jewish. My, my dad is Jewish. It's, he comes from, his lines come from Russia and they came over here and um, uh, I guess probably by boat and, and relocated and changed the name. So my, my name says Elizabeth Gaines, but I believe my Jewish name would really be Elizabeth Ginsburg. Um, the feelings I grew up were remarkably like those of other people that I've heard in SLA. My mom's very strong-willed, judgmental, easy to criticize, but often difficult to praise and give reassurance. So I needed to have constant approval, affirmation from everyone. I was always looking outside of myself. Because of my strong, uh, my because of my lack of strong identity, I readily identify with people of many different backgrounds, interests, and assume theirs is my own. I would walk into a room, take the temperature, see what the temper is like, see how you wanted me to, to show up, change the colors of my skin and become that chameleon. Um, I was driven to, um, I was driven to promiscuous sexuality in part to soothe the pain and loneliness of self-loathing. I was driven by an unconscious need based on the patterns established in my childhood to choose men who would never give me what I wanted, just as my mom would never be able to meet all my emotional needs. Uh, this ultimately reinforced the parental message that I took in was as unworthy, um, I was unloved, and therefore it was a perfect setup for being a sex and love addict, searching obsessively for the man who would make my life happier, being driven further and further away of finding a sense of serenity and contentment. And for anybody out there, it's not what my life is like today. I would like to say that I was raised in the church and relied on God or that I saved myself sexually for marriage. However, the truth is I started acting out uh, sexually and had a deep hunger and earning for sex, love and rock and roll. My first boyfriend was probably about three, um, and then we ultimately moved to Pennsylvania. And from ages of three to 12, I probably had two boyfriends that I had crushes on, you know, throughout the school year, you know, and I would follow them around and do all that little thing, write notes to the girls and all that kind of wonderful stuff. Um, and then I moved back to Chicago. And um, uh, as I think I was about 12 or 13 years old, I had my first real crush, and I'm gonna say a puppy love crush on the fellow across the street. And uh, I can't tell you how many nights I jumped out of the window after my parents were asleep because they would have me coming in at nine o'clock and go to sleep. And I would um, hang out with him until midnight until I got busted by the dog, you know. Um, anyways, eventually Matt and his family relocated to South Carolina. I tell you that because here was a fellow that I really had a crush on, right? So in my teenage years was probably about the time my mom um, is, um, I believe, alcoholic, drank very heavily and emotionally and physically unavailable. And my father kind of checked out emotionally. My father was a workaholic. Now I see why he had four kids to feed. Um, but he was checked, he started in my teenage years was when he started becoming checked out of my life. And that was the perfect storm to catapult me into sex and love addiction and the beginning of my greatest fear which is without my dad, without a man, um, I, um, uh, it would fill me with fear, anxiety, abandonment, and addiction. Um, 
what it was like in my sex and love addiction is as follows. From about 15 to 19, I dated my uh, high school sweetheart. I was pregnant twice when I was 16, once when I was 17. And um, I did not have the children. Um, I went in alone. I felt alone. I was scared and lost. Um, about, about when, right when I first uh, graduated from my uh, senior year in high school was when I, that, that fellow that moved to South Carolina moved back. And here I thought, oh my God, here he was. I could not leave that high school boyfriend that I had to even possibly date someone that I had a real crush on. I was so caught up in sex. I probably had sex every day, four times a week from junior year to senior year. Um, when I was 18 was when the, um, you could drink um, in Wisconsin, you could drink at age 18. Um, Illinois was 21, so of course that's what we did. You know, we're going to, we're going to college and we're gonna go across the border. So I had, uh, I had a, tons of just different uh, hookups with UICC men, University of Illinois, Chicago Circle, fraternity parties, multiple bars in Wisconsin. And um, I was working um, as a, a counter girl in dry cleaners and I was also a shampoo girl. And so other men that would come in and come in and kind of pick me up, it's like, oh, good, yes. So um, from about age 19 to 21, um, I got involved with a married man and he ultimately left his wife. We became involved, we moved in together and it was probably about six months into that, I was out there, out there in the bars again, looking for love in all the wrong places, you know? So when I was 20, I found out that I had an orange sized cyst on my ovary and my fallopian tube and I had surgery. And the surgeon said, I could not spare your ovary. I mean, your uh, fallopian tube or your ovary. I had to take all of it. So like he said, don't worry about it. You have, you have an ovary and a fallopian tube on your left side. So it, it will take over. Don't worry about it. Um, I viewed that as God is mad at me and blame myself for my sex and love addiction. And just for what I went kind of went through in my teenage years. My early 20s, I slept with the boss, got really involved with him. Um, the progression of my sex and love addiction told me I was hot shit. Also at the time, I was had other hookups along the line, two to three men's in the crowd that I was hanging from. It was about 20 at age 24 and 25 was when my addiction progressed and the multiple hookups that I met in um, bars. Um, I bought a house thinking that would fix me on the chain of lakes and I, it was a handyman special and I thought fixing it up would help me. Um, but this is where I hit bottom. I hit emotionally, physically bottom. And I told myself that the little secret, just don't have sex. As a guilt and shame and remorse lay upon me, I decided to attempt to control sex and love addiction and incessant longing for love by sexual anorexia. I bullied and pushed myself into no sex, no intimacy, no connection with men, not even looking at men, dating men, you know, imploding, shutting down and being withdrawn. I disengaged with drinking and uh, friends and girlfriends as a way to control my addiction. Um, it was at 25, I actually hit bottom with, um, I'm also um, bulimic and anorexia and I'm also an alcoholic. So I hit bottom at 25 and I went into treatment for anorexia, 
bulimia and alcoholism, and it was suggested to go to SLAA. And thought, well, we'll just we'll just peel one layer at a time. We'll do the food. We'll do the bulimia. We'll do the alcoholism because there's still boys in there, and you know, SLA. Sure, I'll, I'll look at that. Um, I went to um, a, a chemical dependency treatment at the Parkside program in Chicago for alcoholism. And, sorry about that. I I have a four-month-old kitten that is having a field day right now. So anyways, getting back. Um, in March of 1992, I moved into a halfway house because I couldn't stay abstinent in my bulimia and in my anorexia. As I was feeling feelings, as I was talking about my alcoholism, as I was processing my teenage years, I shared for the very first time at age 25, I totally blacked out that I was pregnant ever. And at that point, the bulimia took over and I couldn't stay sober with that. Um, it's just that it was that the disease took over there. So I ended up going into a halfway house of sober living for 13 months and learning how to live sober. Um, it was that time when I went to my very first SLAA meeting. It was at the Lincoln Park Alano Club. Um, I was probably sober about two years at that point. Um, and I remember going to that meeting and it was a bunch of really wonderful, wonderful women. It was on a Sunday night and they were very honest <laughs> and that scared me. It really scared me. And I just kind of, kind of silently said, I don't know if I'm ready for this just yet, you know, and bottom line, I probably wasn't done. Um, I started dating when I was about two and a half years sober and, um, I dated somebody from the halfway house after he got out and after I was out, and that was the very first time in my life that I absolutely broke up in the relationship. Um, we dated a few times and I just said, I just want to be friends. So that was my first like aha moment. Um, the next person I dated was a, a fellow in my later 20s to about 33. Um, he also came out of that sober living and um, he had moved out a year before I did. All I'm gonna tell you is on that very first date, I was hooked instantly. He was charismatic, he was manipulative, and he was a sex addict, just like Bill Wilson, and I was caught. We dated long distance. Um, I ended up going downstate to the U of I to become a certified veterinary technician. Um, and it was at that point that I needed a phone call every single night. In fact, if I didn't get a phone call, I went into absolute withdrawal and could not sleep. My first four months of being in that program, now granted, my father is a genius. He graduated at nine years old. There has gotta be some smarts there, but because of my sex and love addiction, I was flunking that tech school up until um, I had a, a psychiatrist that said, you need help. And so um, I, um, I ended up graduating. We ended up living together. At that point, it was within a couple months of the, of the living together, he became emotionally, verbally, and downright almost physically abusive. Um, I could not leave him. I was hooked in my sex and love addiction. So my psychiatrist saw my decline and said, you need SLAA before you come back here. So that was June, I'm sorry, that was August of 1998. So I went to SLAW and I got a sponsor. I knew what to do because I had been in other recovery programs. 
broke off the engagement, broke off wedding panels at court. You know, we were going to get married because I thought marriage would fix me. And I went into withdrawal for the very first time in my life. I was in that intense withdrawal for about six months. I worked the steps, processed um, dating with my SLAW sponsor at the time and my uh, psychiatrist, the psychiatrist I'm going to share with you, he was in my life for about 23 years. He was like the William Silkworth of my life. Um, and uh, um, in spring of 1999, um, I met, um, anyways, I'm sorry. Okay. So I was out of a relationship for about almost nine months, maybe almost a year or something like that. Um, when I went on my first dating experience being in SLA. Um, I dated a fella for a year. He was an avoidant. He was safe. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, he, he was an avoidant. He certainly wasn't a sex addict. This is it. This is the guy. Um, at that time, I was about 34. I was told by my gynecologist that I was in perimenopause and I needed to have a baby if I wanted to have a baby um, before my, my eggs wouldn't be viable. After a year of dating, Jim did not want to get married. So I, I broke up the relationship because I really wanted to have a child. Um, I was still in SLA, I was working a program, went into withdrawal, ended up joining a dating service. And remember at this time, there was no dating apps. It was dating service. You walk in and you, you look at computers and pictures and so on. There was no cell phones. So um, anyways, that was what I did. I never did meet anybody. I think I met all the people that I didn't connect with. Um, it was um, about, if this was about, I was 35, um, I met a fella um, in, uh, I went to the International Convention for Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was in Minnesota, and I met someone um, on the trip, we dated six months, here was another, uh, I believe probably a sex addict, um, the deal was, is I felt the hooks, I felt the, felt the electronic shocks that went through my system with this guy. And I thought, wow, this is gonna be the one, you know, because I felt that. Well, anyways, um, anyways, the long and short of it is he, I was accepting crumbs from him. He had no emotional intimacy, never wanted it, no connection, just sex, you know. And I'm in slot and I'm supposed to figure it out, right? So um, I, I broke up in that relationship. So. Um, when I was 36, I uh, went to the, I went to the, it was New Year's Eve and I went to the Displains Alamo Club. Here's a fellow who's playing in a band and really nice guy and he was talking to me and I'm thinking, oh man, just don't talk to me. <laughs> Nobody, no men talk to me. He was a really nice guy. He asked me for my phone number and had said, you know, Elizabeth, I, um, uh, I just want to be friends. This guy was just a nice guy. That's all he was, just a nice guy. Anyways, the long and short of it is I found that um, he told me that he had wanted to date me three years prior, but he wasn't ready. He was still working on himself in recovery. That would be the man that I married, and his name is Rob. And um, he, he really was, he had a, a, so many nice qualities, everything the opposite of all the people I've ever dated. Um, he had a nine-year-old son named Tommy. And um, he introduced me and said, my son is part of my life. If you hang out with me, he comes with us. And, and I was okay with it. So this was, Tommy has been the apple of my eye since January of 2001. Anyway, so we ended up getting married. Um, right, uh, it was about a couple years into the marriage. I found out that my father uh, was diagnosed with middle stages of Alzheimer's. 
and I wanted him to walk me down the aisle. And so, I'm sorry, we didn't get married. My dad was, my dad had uh, was diagnosed with the Alzheimer's while we were dating, and that's when I knew that you know I wanted my dad to walk me down the aisle so that he would know, you know me. Um, after I got married, I felt like I won and got the prize. So for 10 years, there's the marriage, you know? We went through bumps and bruises and ups and downs and peaks and valleys like probably other married couples. Um, I went through fertility. I was never able to have children and I was okay with it. You know, I had Tommy in my life. So I was, I was, had done so much of my own work in, um, in the program. Um, also during, um, during this time, uh, it was, couple years into the marriage, I stopped going to slaw because I thought, well, I got the prize. I got the guy, I got, you know, the son, you know, I just kind of stopped going, you know, um, there was, you know, I, I had, I was a stepmom. I had a great position as a certified addiction and drug counselor. I was going to graduate school, bought a townhouse and eventually I bought a horse. So all these looking back, my disease swung from this love addiction to avoidant to ultimately anorexia. So it, it just, it swings back and forth. So in more emotional anorexia, um, it was towards the end of those 10 years, my life was a mess and I was constantly looking outside for love, attention, validation and approval and intensity. Uh, Rob was a mailman by day and he played in a band at night. So he was really busy with his band and playing and playing out in different clubs. And he played in a sober band I was really okay with it. And I got real busy with riding my horse and showing and all this. I thought these are all the things I never had when I was a little girl. Um, and then my dad passed and probably really took the wind out of my sail. And that was about um, October of 2007. So what happened? This is the what happened. I woke up on a beautiful crisp Saturday, uh, a sunny day, and it was Saturday, December 4th of 2009. I was in my marital townhouse. And this was in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. I had everything a woman could dream of, including a simple, nice home, a pet cat, and a beautiful horse named Forenza. My career as uh, at Keys to Recovery as an LPC and a CADC. I was a case manager, therapist. I was a pseudo caregiver uh, to my mom who needed help. And I was active in 12-step participated uh, fellowships. I was in three fellowships and actively going to the meetings. I was a good daughter-in-law. I was a best friend of my friend Rhonda. I was a quilt maker for silent auctions at the Miracle House. I was all this and didn't have my light. Um, the blue flickering pilot light was burned out. My husband, Rob, had called in sick that day, and he was laying down reading a book in our room with the door closed. I was in the spare room. I got on my knees, and my head was in my hands, and I was sobbing. This was a spiritual experience or breakthrough, though, uh, that I had, that I've come to see it. I reached out to God. I said, I can't live like this anymore. Uh, please help me. I don't know what to do. I was given the nudge to call Franny. She was um, in Al-Anon. She's been my Al-Anon mom for a long time. Uh, um, and she said to me, she told me to get dressed, drive to the Saturday morning Al-Anon meeting in Chicago for support, get hugs, get phone numbers, and women who would understand. 
I was told to keep coming back and don't give up. The miracle is ready to happen. Uh, not sure of all the series of events, but I did tell Rob that we needed a break um, as we had tried marital counseling a few times. Um, again, I was in more of an emotional and an avoidant um, cycle in my sex and love addiction. I, I never cheated on my husband. I was absolutely faithful to him, but I wasn't faithful to myself. I, I had lost myself. What um, I wasn't going to do this anymore. What I really truly needed to do at that time, and I kind of knew it, was to go to the Meadows or the Gentle Path Treatment Center for 30-day program um, for sex and love addiction, for love, for love addiction. Um, and even at this point, I wasn't ready, and I chose to put off uh, facing sexual anorexia and my family of origin work. I wasn't ready to release the pain. So I was separated for about three years, um, and it was uh, in 2000, I, it was January of 2010. My anorexia progressed to the point of moving back with my mom. Um, I redid the, the, the townhouse. Rob said, I don't want it. Let's move out. Let's do something. Um, I, he said, I'm not helping you get this on the market. This is, I don't want the divorce. I don't want to let the house go. So I decorated that house. I painted, chipped, put new windows in, new tiles, you name it, took wallpaper off, paint, scrub, scrape, did that for uh, several, several months to put the house in a failing market in Illinois. Financially, I was broke. I gave my show horse away. Uh, we lost our home in a short sale, and um, we were about $100,000 in debt financially. Um, the divorce, I uh, got divorced. It was amicable. It was June of 2013. Um, four days after I signed the papers for divorce, um, I slept with the allied van driver. My mom had bought a house in Katy, Texas and said, I bought a house and I'm 79 years old and you're more than welcome to follow me if you want. Your life is a mess. And, uh, you know, you just figure it out. So I slept with the guy, right? He gave me some attention. And um, anyways, so in June, July of 2013, I moved to Houston. Um, it was a geographic, I thought a geographic change would fix me. I had one last hookup with a fella and it was June of 2014 um, that I met through Facebook or social media. My sex and love addiction just kept spiraling down. Remember, when I moved to Texas, I left a good career in Chicago. I was burned out. At that point, I also enrolled in HCC, um, thinking that if I went to nursing school, that would fix me and my life would be, change me and I'd be better. Um, I went into complete um, sexual anorexia, emotional anorexia. Um, for two years, all I did was study round the clock. I would leave my bedroom to go to school. I would leave my bedroom to go to a meeting and then come home and go back and I would study. Um, uh, let's see. So it was about, a, it was a Friday night um, that I went to an AA meeting at the Woods Road Group and I all this is another spiritual awakening for me. Um, this would have been a, probably about June of 2016, and I left that meeting. I felt hopeless, despair, and I darn well almost drove off the feeder. 
on my way home to my mom's house. Um, it was at that point I went home, I called somebody that I knew from um, the program, a woman from um, my other program. She said, meet me at this place. It's at the Council of Recovery Monday night at 6.30. It's a woman's group. You will love it. It's just a group of women. You will love it. So I did because I'm pretty accountable and dedicated. And I didn't know that my AA friend took me to my first SLAA meeting. And um, at the Council of Recovery, she didn't say it was SLAA, only that it was a great women's support group. And I just knew right there and then I needed a sponsor. I needed to fill out the bottom lines. I needed to start the steps of SLAA. And that's where my story, um, my story started here in um, Texas. And I just want to say, first of all, um, all the gratitude that I have for all of the people in for the last five and a half years, for everybody here tonight, for Elizabeth, I know you've seen me in meetings. MG, you've seen me in meetings. Um, most of you, I've, I've been in some type of a woman's group or a wonder woman's group or a therapy group or something in this uh, fellowship. So what is my life like now? What it's like now? I found a God of my understanding whom I believe in and developed a daily, so, oops, Alrighty. Sometimes hourly relationship with knowing I was not alone in my efforts to heal from sex and love addiction. Um, number two, what I've learned along the way is I developed and was restored to a faith in a higher power. God was able to help me be vulnerable with my sponsor, with the women in sloth, with um, therapists, with uh, group therapy, with several close girlfriends. Most of my girlfriends are probably in SLA. Um, Number three, I was come to find SLA, surrender 50 plus years of my whole life in pursuit of looking outside myself for sex, love, and rock and roll. Um, and I was able to not act out or act in. Um, um, number four, I changed my cell phone. I was told to get a Houston number, block off qualifiers, emotional dependencies with men. I had a ton of emotional dependencies from Chicago. I never told anybody that. Um, until I got to SLA. Um, so I was able to change that and yet um, not be emotionally intriguing with any anyone. Um, number five, I learned how to have an intimate relationship with myself, um, love and accept myself, and take responsibility for my life. I pay rent, I pay bills, I have a good job with benefits. Um, I have a retirement account. Um, I'm working on taking care of my needs, meeting my needs first instead of rescuing anybody or fixing someone else. Today I ask for help. I share myself being, being honest and vulnerable, learning to trust and accept people for who they are. Um, I'm working on improving my self-esteem, uh, fears of abandonment, um, having a real relationship with me for the very first time, and I'm okay. Um, I'm learning to accept myself, warts and all. Um, heal my shame and perfectionism um, through a therapy and SLA, my women's groups. Um, I'm having a willingness to express uh, my uh, emotions and feelings even when uncomfortable, even when uncomfortable. I'm able to have an honest 
analysis of who I am, being true to myself, and developing intimacy and relationships with myself and others. I've dated a couple of fellows in the program, and when it got to a point where it it um, it, it wasn't working anymore, this isn't what was I wanted. Was able to leave that relationship, go into withdrawal, and and find myself again, reclaim myself. Um, I've been able to participate in a process of recovery and being restored to sanity. So I wanted to share also what it is, uh, what my program looks like. My I, I do follow the I have the bottom lines, middle lines, and top lines. My bottom lines are are pretty simple: no sex if I'm not in a relationship. No masturbation, no stalking, Facebook, uh, Google, classmates.com, social media, cyber stalking, friends, relatives, researching. Um, no unproductive negative thoughts. When I have an unproductive negative thought, it needs to follow with the serenity prayer and some kind of an affirmation. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone people like me. Kind of works. No contact with qualifiers. My middle line behaviors, those are those slippery slopes, isolation, loneliness, depression, halt, uh, overcommitting, resentment, saying yes when I mean no, or when I don't want to do something, abandoning myself or my inner child, people pleasing, um, codependency, not following my plan of eating. I do work on a food program and I do work a beverage program. So it's not in, in acting out or acting in, in any of those. Um, also, not setting boundaries is a middle line. Comparing myself to someone else, man or woman or child. Financially, not comparing myself. Physically, appearance, age, possessions, jobs, performance. Not wanting to look at or deal with my finances. Those are all middle lines. Top lines, I've probably got about 50. And um, I'm not going to read them all. Um, you know, it's everything from group therapy, pamper date once a week, treat myself to something on payday, fin shui, decorate my home, spending time with my niece or nephew or my grandbaby. Um, where I'm at now, that little boy that was nine is now 30. He will be having his second child on Monday. Um, he, they have a two-year-old daughter, um, he and his beautiful wife, and I'm a Mimi. Um, so where I'm at, um, this slot did lead me through the steps. Um, you know, um, not only the first three steps in slaw, but learning how to trust that higher power, find that higher power, but then learning how to clean house. And one of the hardest things I did in my first several years in slaw was to do those amend steps. I wrote out letters to people that I that I had on my um, list for my A step list and. I sent those letters and Tommy responded and we absolutely cried on the phone and um, it was a really beautiful moment. The night that he called me and he said, I just didn't want you to leave Elizabeth, why'd you leave? And I said, I didn't know what to do with the pain. Um, and that was after the divorce and um, I was on my way to the council of recovery. So there's my ninth step amends there. Um, currently what I, what I'm doing now in my program, I, I have worked, I'm, I'm actually working the steps through the how program, um, right now. Um, since the pandemic, I 
found myself really becoming isolated, like a lot of people, emotionally isolated. And I had a hard time really connecting and finding that connecting so that anorexia started to come back. I didn't act out. I didn't act in. I didn't go off any of these bottom lines, but I knew I needed to do something. And so um, I started and started working the steps in that. And I'm actually currently on step seven in that program. Um, it, what I have gained is it's given me some structure. It's given me some um, uh, daily disciplines for myself. Um, and in that program, um, it's about making three phone calls a day and it's working the steps. It's having, um, having sponsorship. Um, and I redid my circles, my bottom lines, my middle lines, and my top lines. And those are the, what I just read to you. And um, I also learned something also very valuable um, in the course of the last uh, three months. And it's something called two-way prayer. And I, um, it's, uh, I do this discipline every day. I Five minutes. Okay, thank you, Bemenji. I'm almost done. Um, I start my morning every morning with um, 45 minutes of prayer meditation. Um, I've got my stated grace book. I've got my um, slaw, the the book, um, our our you know big book there. Uh, I pose a question to my higher power and I pray about it. I have a disciplined prayer sheet that I read and I write down what comes after I've said this kind of little mantra for myself and I'm getting that connection. And I have to say that's been a very, very deep and valuable lesson, something that I have been really searching for for a long time. Um, I, I am not living in Katy. I didn't really share too much about this. My bucket dream when I first got sober um, 29 years ago was to live in the city. And I would never had the courage to live from the suburb to the city of Chicago. Um, I had too many emotional dependencies and uh, I wasn't well enough. I currently live in the city, as some of you know, you watched me. Um, I lived in the med center for a couple of years. I rented a room um, on the 35th floor of a high rise. It was one of the best living experiences I've ever had. It was a couple of women. Um, they were in my other fellowship that we were kind of like the girls in the clouds. Um, I, um, and then about six months ago, I got my, an apartment of my own and I'm not falling apart. I am not acting out. I'm not acting in. I'm not berating myself, beating up on myself, punishing myself. I am able to just be present because of all of you, because all of the, the nuggets of experience, strength, and hope that you've given me. And um, that is all I have. There's my story. I just want to say thank you again to everybody. That's it for this month's speaker meeting. Stay tuned to Sober Sisters Talk for next month's speaker. Thank you.